The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. I am Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Rabel Associates and Shiawassee 6. My God, I am still in the office. Good day, guys. It's been a hell of a run. I told some people I would do a live on a review of SummerSlam, and I will deliver on that promise tonight, despite the exhaustion. So, for those of you that know me, I am an old school wrestling fan. I love listening to podcasts about old school wrestling. Growing up as a child, I loved wrestling. I haven't watched wrestling in years. And AC, Adam Cartwright, my closest, one of my closest friends from law school, he texted me a while ago. And he says, SummerSlam is coming to Detroit. Okay. Um, let's get tickets. Then Joe and Becca Barra, they're big wrestling fans. So I said, let's do this. And let me just tell you, I love hanging with Adam, Joe, and Becca. But I will say I'm going to make fun of a lot of other things that happened. And I gotta tell you, maybe it's the work. Maybe it's just exhaustion. But I'm finding a way to, like, just make fun of people so easily these days. I don't know. Capital case after capital case. And going to SummerSlam, well, that was an event in and of itself. The night before, took Adam, Becca, and Joe to the chop house. If you ever have dinner with Becca, a bear at a nice restaurant, she will Google every sauce there is for the food. That was nice. (laughs) I'm just sitting there and I'm wondering, should I be studying about SummerSlam? Because Adam, Joe, and Becca are talking about all these things and... You ever been like the odd one at the party? I don't know what's going on. I literally looked a few things up. But I'm not up to date on this. So we make our trip. I pick Adam up. And by the way, Adam Cartwright is not only a great lawyer, but check out the movie Squash Junkies. He's in there and he kills it. Independent film, Missouri. Watch out for that film. But, you know, me and Adam were talking about old times, about law school, this and that. And I mean, I'm excited. I haven't been to a live wrestling event in years. I really don't know what the hell's going on, but all right. So we park at Greektown Casino. And we walk down the street. And at this point, I realized karma is a bitch. Let me tell you what I mean. I was making fun of people at Comic-Con. Let me tell you something about hardcore wrestling fans. They put Comic-Con to shame. Not only do these people 
dress the role of their favorite wrestlers. They do the voices. And I'll try to do some later because I was, you know, you're coming off a long work week. I just came off a murder prelim, a bunch of trials, and I walk in Detroit and I'm walking past Frank Murphy. And I walked into a sea of what I consider dysfunction. The audience at SummerSlam, it was, it was amazing to me. There was a woman that was looking at the stadium, right? And she starts crying. And she goes, this is the greatest moment of my life. And she's holding her two children's hands as she's saying this. And the first thing I'm thinking to myself is, wow! This woman cares more about SummerSlam than the birth of her children. Holy shit! Let me tell you. I've won some major trials. Let's say Max's birth was more important. Just saying, lady. <laughs> You're studying these people. And, um... I see Bill Apner walking down the street. Now, this is where the old school wrestling geek comes in. Bill Apner is arguably the top wrestling journalist in the history of journalism. And I say, oh my god, it's Bill Apner. How you doing, man? And Bill Apner and Chris Featherstone does these podcasts. I'm talking to them outside. And Adam, AC, Joe, and back are like, who is that? I'm like, it's Bill Alfonso. He goes, no, no, I'm Bill Apner. And now I'm realizing I'm mixing up my ECW Bill Alfonso days with Bill Apner. And I said, Bill, I know who you are, and I'm sorry. And we're sitting there talking to one of the people I used to read as a child. It was pretty cool talking to Bill for a while. Then you looked around. And we're waiting in this line, right? And I'm thinking to myself, well, we'll buy dinner inside. I brought plenty of cash. <laughs> There's big signs. We are cashless. All right. Let's go on the firm credit card. And that's the first thing that hit me. Like, you go to a wrestling match and you can't pay for things in cash. Okay. It's 2023. And I'm looking around. And I'm seeing somebody who looks like Macho Man Randy Savage. And... As this guy is sitting there with a bunch of people, and he's dressed like the Slim Jim version of Macho Man Randy Savage, and he's looking at me with like a chuckle because I just have like a polo shirt on, <laughs> and um, I'm realizing like this is their night, right? And he looks at me, and I said, "Hey, man, how's it going?" And he goes, "Oh yeah." I'm like, huh? So he's real. He's doing the voice now too. They're talking to you. Then there was a woman dressed like Tammy Stitch, Sonny. And <laughs> if you know what's going on with Tammy Stitch in the real world right now, this is fascinating. So I was going to say to her, you know, she's looking at 25 years to life, but I didn't say that. Then there was a guy dressed like Cody Rhodes. I mean, and it went on and on and on. They're all dressed. And all these people are carrying their championship belts with them. It was a big thing to buy a championship belt when you go to SummerSlam. And I don't know. 
Is this like wearing a jersey to a game? Is it like the kid that brings his baseball glove to try and catch a foul ball? But these people are congregating and this is their world. They are so excited. I'm thinking, okay, we get to our seats. It's time for the matches. And I'll break down these matches. But let me just say, I'm texting different people, and I'm with three people I really care about and respect. They're having the time of their life. I got a splitting headache. I'm trying to watch these matches. I'm Googling things about the wrestlers. And I was far and away the least intelligent one on this topic. First match, Logan Paul versus Ricochet. And understand that some of the people in the audience, I think they believed wrestling was still real. You know, even though the world has come to accept that this is orchestrated, let's really get into it. Because Logan Paul took a foreign object and he hit Ricochet over the head, he won the match. And I heard people screaming, how did the referee miss that? Okay. At this point, my head is spinning because for years, we know that foreign objects are used by heels to beat faces. But I digress. The second match was Cody Rhodes versus Brock Lesnar. Now, I'm a huge Dusty Rhodes fan. And I gotta admit, this is where I came out of my shell a little bit. Because Cody Rhodes' theme song, I'm singing along and now I'm jumping around with a bunch of people. And I'm like, alright. I'm feeling the moment right now. When Cody Rhodes won, that was pretty cool. The match I was most excited about was the 25-man Battle Royal, which LA Knight won. Let me tell you guys something. You can't really follow a Battle Royal live. It's much better to watch on TV. I know what the hell is going on. People keep getting flipped around whatever the next match was the one I know Becca was waiting for the most she was dying to see her girl Ronda Rousey Ronda Rousey's going to get Shayna Baszler and this is the one Becca's waiting for she got a Ronda Rousey jersey on and these people are booing the hell out of these girls it was an MMA, rule, MMA rules match and I'm thinking to myself these are pretty talented wrestlers but the crowd hated it. Ronda Rousey loses. Next match was Gunther versus Drew McIntyre. And Gunther, I, I don't know, he's like a Soviet guy. And he's got these weird promos. And he's been the Intercontinental Champion for years. And he wins his match. And at this point, I gotta admit, I'm getting kind of tired. I'm worn out. But I'm kind of enjoying myself. The crew's enjoying themselves. I'm texting some people. Scott Corner texts me, and we're talking about a case briefly, and he's making fun of me for being at SummerSlam. Scott Grable's texting me, saying, what the hell am I doing at SummerSlam, and what is SummerSlam? And I'm like, we're in match six. I'm thinking, okay. I gotta get to the end of match nine. Then we'll get home. We'll be good. 
And that's when Seth Rollins beat Finn Balor. That was a great match. Great match. And all these Seth Rollins people are, like, all pumped up. All right, it's a good time, but I'm tired at this point. You know, it's like the night's going to end soon, right? Then there was this triple threat match. Bianca Belair, uh, Zuka, and Charlotte Flair. Now understand something. At this point, there's like a single mother and her child sitting next to us. And the single mother seems like a very conservative woman. And her and I were chatting a little bit throughout the night. You know, yeah, my sense of divorce, I take my son to these events. Oh, I understand. So that's good. He seems to be having a good time, and we're chatting it up. And, you know, she's saying, you know, as a parent, you want to go to these things, make your kid happy. You know, I completely understand. I'm sure I'll take my son one day. And this seems like the most sanest woman you ever met in your life. But then Charlotte Flair came out. Now, Charlotte Flair, I'm going to root for Charlotte Flair because of Ric Flair. Because from my childhood, Ric Flair is one of this great, great all-time wrestler. Maybe the greatest of all time. And here's this woman who looks like Miss Young Republican with her child. And when Charlotte Flair came out, she started doing the Ric Flair. Woo! Woo! And I'm thinking, okay, so everybody here is nuts, right? Cool. Get it. Final match, Roman Reigns beats Joey Aizo, and, I don't know, the whole Reigns family beat up on this poor guy. Again, I don't really know what the hell's going on, but I saw so many people attack Joey Aizo for Roman Reigns to win, and it was just, um, it was different. We go home. Now, parking was brutal. There's 56,000 people at SummerSlam. There's a tire game in town. There's another 25,000 people there. There's 80,000 people in this small area of Detroit. We get back to Greek town. And uh, I figured, okay, I know how we'll kill some time. I'll go play poker. I gotta tell you, man, when you're playing poker at Greek town at 2 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday night, and some people are bragging about taking a $50 pot off of you. And you're exhausted after a night of SummerSlam. You really start reevaluating your life. So we hung out. We played some poker. And I'm thinking to myself, we're going to get home. It'll be fine now. Haha, ha, I'm so smart. I just killed an hour and a half of time. We get up to the parking garage. And me and AC literally fight our way out of there. It took an hour to get out of the parking garage. All in all, very cool night. Very great event. Loved hanging with the people I was hanging with. Could have done with it going two hours instead of four hours. But, um, yeah. That was SummerSlam. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. And today, 
talk about a really weird week I've had. Um, oil changes going wrong. Car washes where I thought somebody was going to die. And the slushy machine. I kind of blame Matt McManus for the slushy issue, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. I gotta tell you, <clears throat> I am uh, going out of county for this trial next week. It's only the fifth time I've been ordered to come have a county on it. <clears throat> and, you know, you get to know the people. I know I know many of the hotel workers now. I know their marital problems. I, it, it's been a weird week, man. I am so burned out, I swear. But <clears throat> let's talk about Tuscola. Let me just say, I think Mark Green is one of the best prosecutors in the state of Michigan. Amazing guy. But I've had some issues in Tuscola outside of the courtroom. I'm going to share some of them today. And it really, um, <clears throat> I had an idea this week. So I go to Tuscola for court. And I'm supposed to get a plea done. That's a long story. And I go to a Zoom. Now, guys, if you haven't been to Tuscola, be very careful about internet service on your phone. It may not work. But I pull into the back of this church like I'm like some creeper to try to steal their internet. Because it doesn't work on my phone out there. And I did the one Zoom. And now I got time between the second Zoom. And I decide I'm going to get my oil changed. Now, I had had a problem before in Tuscola. Um, I stayed at a hotel in Tuscola once, right? And, you know, I could see Scott Grable's tuned in. <clears throat> and I wasn't making any money. This is like 2017. I had just started working for you, Scott. And I was using Scott's gambling account. And I paid for this hotel in Tuscola. And I'm losing money on the game. <clears throat> And I'm doing, like, this O-U-I-L for Scott. <clears throat> and, like, it's really a weird place. And Scott's texts me, hey, after this game, make sure you pay me my $300 you lost on my account. <laughs> but I go to the hotel, and the guy says to me, what are you doing with that credit card? I'm like, oh, I'm here. I made a reservation, sir. <laughs> well, you only get a discount if you pay cash. I'm like, oh, okay. So I pulled the cash out. I don't have a ton of cash at this point, but I pull out a couple hundred bucks. I give the guy his cash. And I said, what's my discount? Oh, you piece of shit. You want a discount? Cheap rooms are already cheap enough. Like, huh. I started to learn to school was weird. But, you know, respecting Mark. It's okay. I'm going to get through this. No big deal. It all came full circle on Wednesday when I get this oil change. Now, I pull into the quick lube. And there's these three guys. And these guys look like they were just released from a mental hospital. I mean, they really, um, they were really just strange guys. They were on their coffee break. And I pull in. Like, ah, you son of a bitch, pull in. They're really pissed off I pull in there. So I, I roll in to get the oil changed. And this one guy screams, put your visor down! I'm like, okay. So I put my visor down. It's like, what type of oils this thing take? I don't know. I have no idea, sir. He goes, do you want regular washer fluid or do you want the de-icer? 
the de-icer is three ninety five more. Like, eh, you know, give me the de-icer. Of course, he wants the de-icer, Mister Cadillac. Ooh, look at this guy with the de-icer. Okay, now I'm I'm getting a little weird here. I'm like, huh? So you guys okay? Oh yeah, we're fine. Are you? <laughs> Good. So um. I'm texting people on my phone. He goes, oh, look at Mr. Big Shot on his phone over there. I'm like, guys, should I leave? Why? You're not done yet. So they start opening the back of my car doors. They're like squirting this stuff. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? I change my oil. And uh, I give them a tip. That was a grave mistake. I literally gave these guys a $10 tip and thanked them for their service. They told me to go to hell. You think you're better than us? No, I just appreciate the service. They throw this thing down in my car. And they say, put down this information we need. And I'm like, do you want my email address? No, why would we want that? What is that? I'm like, okay. So I'm writing my old school stuff. And I start asking questions like, why do you guys need my home address? Why do you need to know who my employer is? So now, I'm a little annoyed with them, but I also have to use the bathroom, and this creates a quandary. So I write down 109 North Willow Avenue, which is my childhood home. I write down my employer is Vandalay Industries. Um, they didn't pick up on anything. They did say they couldn't read my handwriting. Well, I heard that in law school. I asked them if I could use the bathroom. So they hand me this giant hubcap with this church key on it right and i am i really gotta urinate all right so i take it and i'm trying my damnedest to get this key in and like ah ha ha that idiot he doesn't even have to open the door and i'm like hey dude the key doesn't work like, oh i'm sorry we gave you the wrong key luckily i get the right key now, at this point, I'm kind of thinking my demise is coming, right? This is not good. I get to use the bathroom finally, and I kind of had a memory of the Jackson County Jail Library Room. Have you ever been there? There's, like, feces on the ground, and I'm, like, hopping over in my suit, trying to touch anything. The water came out brown, and uh, I gave them their key back, and I got the hell out of there. And it was a really weird situation. And I think to myself, man, <clears throat> can't wait to get back to civilization in Ann Arbor. And for some reason, this was a week with all the shit I got going on where I'm going to do all these chores. I'm going to get my oil changed. I'm going to get my car wash. I'm going to do it up. You get to the car wash. Now, remember Thanksgiving time, I told you guys about this I had with a car wash place. And I'm starting to wonder if it's me. I went to a different car wash, a very reputable car wash in Ann Arbor. It's on the way home. And as you walk in, these two guys are like squirting their things on you. They got these things that are shh. I'm like, okay. Now, it always bothered me with the car washes when they tell you to put your car in neutral and just go. Because you can't see shit, right? Like, this stuff is pouring down on you, and, all right, I mean, I'm here. I want to get the car washed. I'm on their turf, and 
I'm slowly rolling in neutral. And, you know, the brushes are coming up and all this stuff's happening. And this one guy, I don't know if it was an employee or what, he jumps from out of the suds and he crosses my car. I think I would have hit the guy. I'm like, oh, shit. So I put on the brakes. Now, I put on the brakes because I saw the guy jump from the suds. I don't want to hit this dude, right? Okay. Try to be humanitarian. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want a lawsuit. The two guys that started squirting me are furious about this. What don't you understand? We said put it on neutral. So I'm rolling my window down to yell back at them as the suds are coming in my car. And I'm like, dude, that guy jumped from underneath the suds. Oh, that's Craig. I mean, does Craig just do this shit? I don't know who Craig is. But I know... As I'm going through these suds, and you can't see anything, and you're going one mile an hour through the humps and neutral, this dude crossed the car. I didn't want to hit Craig. Finally, though, as weird as this week has been, I decided it's time for a treat. I blame Matt McManus for this. I'm coming back from the trial that's been adjourned so many times. And, um, I text Matt. Like, hey, I want a slushy. Do you want a slushy? Because, yeah, I want a slushy. What kind do you want? I want Coca-Cola. Hmm. I mean, he couldn't just pick, like, red, right? He had to go Coca-Cola. I want a cherry slushy. And I am really pumped up to get this cherry slushy. I just want to down this thing. I haven't had a treat in a while. And I'm like, all right. Gonna have my cherry slushy. I'll get Matt his Coca Cola one. I stop at the first gas station, and I always thought, and I guess I'm wrong about this, that most gas stations have slushy machines. No, wrong you are, my friends. The first two gas stations did not have slushy machines. Now I'm kind of on edge, right? At this point, I'm on a mission. I need a damn slushy. I need it. I want it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to find a slushy somewhere. So I'm stopping at every gas station like a maniac looking for the slushy machine. I finally get the one, right? Ah, oh, there we go. Got my slushy. No Coca-Cola one. I don't want to disappoint Matt, but I want to get this slushy. Now, I could have been an asshole and said, you know what? They got cherry right here. I could have just got Matt a cherry. I could say, hey, Bo, sorry, no luck. But I did remember there was this one gas station near the office that had a cherry and Coca-Cola slushy. And forgive me for not thinking every gas station just had slushies of all varieties. I guess that makes me a snob. I don't know. But I go in and I'm looking for the Coca-Cola. And they moved it. They had it. But they moved it. So there's like these cases and cases of Bud Light and I'm in my dress shoes and my suit and I'm like hopping up these things to get Matt his Coca-Cola slushy because I mean he needs it he wants a slushy and these people are looking at me like I'm a lunatic of course I get my red slushy now of course the cups didn't fit the lids I should say so I'm looking for the lids 
to this Coca-Cola and Cherry Slushy. Want to get Matt his. I want to have mine. I'm dying just to down this thing. And I'm fighting all the temptation in the world. Not to just suck this thing down. And I'm getting the lids. And these two people come up to me. And these people look like they just escaped a biohazard chemical plant. And they said to me, <laughs> Looks like you don't know anything about slushies, do you? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm just looking for lids. And they show it's right there. Okay, but then the lids they point to didn't fit the slushies I had gotten. So I'm screaming. We're getting into this adding match. They're, like, like, throwing lids at me. So I'm, like, throwing stuff back. And I'm like, look, dude, it doesn't fit. I don't need your help. I get the lids for my own slushie. And, like, the manager's looking at us. And the manager knows me a little bit from, like, getting my nutrition bar. So I said, B, is everything all right? I just want my slushy. Okay. Guys, everything's under control. Get the slushies. Head back. What do we learn from this? If you're getting, if you're getting a hotel where you need oil and caro, go to Tuscola. Be careful using the bathroom and try to go to the next town over. Maybe Frank and move with older stupid Christmas decorations would have been better for this. I don't know. I just wanted some oil. Be careful at hotels there. When going through car washes in Ann Arbor, I guess she's got to have faith. Just put that thing in neutral and roll the dice. Hopefully you don't hit Craig. I didn't want to hit Craig. I don't know if Craig's got a wife, kids. I don't know, poor guy. I didn't want to hit him. I cared about Craig more than they did, even though they knew Craig. And if you guys are watching this, I hope you that sticks with you. And lastly, if you're getting a slushy, and you go to a Circle K, make sure you hop over the Bud Light cases carefully, and make sure you pick the lids on the left. I hope you found this as informative and educational as myself. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. A few things hit me this morning. I'm in the gym and I'm doing some trial prep. And just kind of in like this bizarre type of situation. And I guess speaking from the heart's important because some of the things that happen when we were teenagers, they never leave us, right? Get money, change your appearance, success, whatever it is, that trauma sometimes, it doesn't leave us. And I was talking to somebody after midnight, I was talking to somebody before 8 a.m. this morning. What I've learned in my life Maybe you guys can relate to this. But the people that you text with before working hours and the people that you text with after everybody else is asleep in the world, they're those powerful people you connect with. They're the ones you have that insane connection with. It could be friendships. It could be lovers. Whatever it is, guys, in your own subjective world, but they're the ones that in some ways... 
you have a subconscious connection with and you will say things to them you may not share with other people and it got me thinking about friendships and you know trauma is no joke and trauma comes in many forms and i do see a lot of people that have never really had the walls caved in and when they never had the walls caved in, when life punches them in the face, they don't know how to react. Then there's other ones. We understand what it's like to be punched in the face. We understand what it's like to be walking back to your corner and be punched in the back of the head. And how do you react to that? I mean, your first instinct, hopefully, is to fight back. But then how you fight back. That's what's fascinating. And I'm on the phone this morning with a lawyer that's a lawyer from the suburbs and you know I gotta tell you something I know it's ironic that I live in a wealthy neighborhood I know it's ironic that I am no longer an inner city kid but I think in my heart of hearts I am still an inner city kid and sometimes because I deal with so many people from the suburbs when I get a cocky person from the suburbs on the phone and I'm trying to be reasonable, I go back to the preppy kids in high school. I go back to the Ventnor and Margate assholes. And I want to choke this guy out, right? And I got to watch what I say because I realize, number one, he's probably recording me and I'm recording him. And I don't want to say something stupid that's going to hurt my client's case or get me set up for a grievance. And I want to set him up to say something stupid. So I'm putting on this role. I want him to know that I have some inner city crazy. I could come out. I also got to make him realize I'm smarter than him. And this is all this big show to help a client. And I start wondering where this all came from. How did this all evolve? For better and or for worse. And guys, we lose ourselves in shit. We just do. And I'm going to get to a story from my senior year of high school. Because some of the things that happened in our youth set the tone for so many things that happen later in life, right? And we lose ourselves sometimes. We lose ourselves in people. We lose ourselves in relationships. We lose ourselves in religion, sports, gambling, drugs, whatever it is. We're all looking for something. And those formative years, they basically set the guides for what's going to happen. Senior year of high school, man, oh God. It was a different time period, right? You know, and I'm this poor white kid from inner city, Atlantic City. And again, I'm going to mention this. And those of you that watch me have heard me yap about this before. Atlantic City High was segregated, not just upon race, social economics. Vetner and Margate were the chosen ones. They were the white affluent kids. Atlantic City were the poor minorities, and there were several white ones that were there, but for the most part it was poor minorities. And Brigantine was like the poor white kids with a mix of diversity. 
So wealth went this way and poverty went that way. And it was very interesting being white and being in poverty at that time. And senior year, things start to change a little bit. And when I say they start to change, you know, we've known each other four years now and some of us longer. And certain ones of those few white kids and the Asian kids that were poor in Atlantic City have started to become accepted on some level by the Vetner and Margate kids. For me, I guess a level of acceptance came through mock trial. I made the mock trial team, which was a huge deal. And I realized the people on mock trial, they appreciated my talent and it would help them advance their college resumes, but they weren't friends. Let's be clear. They were not friends. So while we may have high-fived after going to a state tournament or whatever, at the end of the night, I was going home. And at a very young age, thanks to Mom, thanks to Aunt Mare, thanks to Miss Gandia, I start saying to myself, you know, they're using me to help advance their life. I'm going to use them to help advance mine. And when I say use them, the theory I take in the court every day, I knew I had to walk home to a war zone, right? Willow Avenue in Atlantic City was a goddamn war zone. Don't tell me it was unless you lived it. And mock trial to me was an escape on several levels. One, I didn't view anybody on the mock trial team as a physical threat. Nobody was going to get you to switch blade on the mock trial team, right? So it was safety. Two, I realized I had this knack. This knack to control the room. This knack to take things over. So I saw mock trial as my way out of Ducktown. Other people, it was about finding their first loves and drinking and smoking weed and experiencing all the things that young people seem to experience. Things I wasn't allowed to experience and thank you at Mary Mom for not allowing me to do such. But there's this party. And when I say there were very few white kids in the inner city, there weren't many. But some of us had graduated, if you would, to this level of acceptance with the Ventnor and Margate kids. And some of us didn't. Some of us wanted that longing of acceptance. The living in the two worlds was just brutal, and some of us did not. I was a big proponent of the one that was not into it. At this point of life, I kind of understood things weren't going to come easy. They were going to come. And it wasn't going to be in high school. I start learning things about myself. Um, the pretty Margate girl may be into me, but not in front of her friends. The brutality of Atlantic City, you found ways to survive that. And here's this party, and this is the party of all parties. And the invitations are coming out. 
People are so excited. Oh my god, I got invited to this party. And I didn't get the invite. And several of my friends didn't get the invite. And, um... These guys are taking it really hard. I didn't get an invite, and they're, like, almost emotional and crying. They're like, did you get one, B? No. And I said to them, why do you want to go to that party? I'm just curious. These people feel they're better than us, right? And the only way to even the score, in my opinion, is we outwork and become more successful than them. They want to throw you some crumbs. What do you care? At this point, at 17 years of age, I'm seeing the big picture. And the big picture was, I'm not longing for their acceptance anymore. Fuck them. It, it's done. You didn't want me. I don't want you. That's just where I'm at with shit, right? And these guys, they're not there. And there's this one girl I'm talking to. And I just got my car. I said to her, hey, do you want to go out Friday night? And she told me no. She got invited to the party. And let me tell you about this girl. She was one of us in a way. And she wanted to go to the party where the rich kids were. She wanted to hook up with the college kids, which would be CSC3s. They would, I'll digress. She wanted to do all those cool things. And I am still the poor white kid from the inner city. So she said, hey, nothing personal, B. I really like you, but I have a chance to be with them. Okay. It's that moment when, like, the cold water splashes on your face. You're like, huh. So even this girl who I'm connected to thinks the grass is greener over there. How do you process that as a 16-year-old kid? The rejection. You're not invited to the party. The girl you like likes you, but she likes them better. Their option one, your option two. And I go home, I tell Aunt Mara about it. I tell Gandhi about it, Miss Gandhi, like, hey, go uh, practice your mock trial because this is all bullshit and this is what's important. Understood. You know, in the time of being depressed and feeling awkward and secure, that was over now. I, I was a man, a young man, but I'm a man. And I'm laughing about it. I'm thinking, okay, you know what? One day in the future, I'm not going to want to hang with you. And you got this point. And when I'm telling you my crew, and I'm not even, I don't know if crew is the right word, but the guys that were not invited to this party, they were devastated. Because it was like a draft, right? And some people finally found levels of acceptance, and then this group didn't. And they're all talking about how sad and depressed they are. But they're going to meet at one of our friends' house. We're going to have our own party. B, why don't you come? I mean, at this point, i got to be real. I wanted to stay home, study, stick into the Al-Qaeda workout, watch TV. Guys, I'm kind of checked out at this point. But you know you get to that point when you're checked out, but people you care about are not checked out. And you're seeing these people you care about being really morbidly depressed. Even to the point where suicide was not that much of a reach. And they asked me to come to this party. The backup party. 
in inner city Atlantic City. And I'm realizing at this moment, I guess I should go because maybe I was meant to say something inspirational. I don't know. I'm kind of in my own world because I realize this shit's going to stop soon and I'm seeing my path out, but maybe my friends there didn't see that path out. So I agree. I'll meet you on Chelsea Avenue at my friend's house. And they wanted liquor. Now, I don't drink, and I've never drank. Complete straight edge. No drinking, no pot, no drugs. However, there was a bar, Choo Choo's, which was right next to where I lived. And I knew I could go in there and get liquor. That was no problem. I mean, they served, I think their most of their clientele was underage. So the crew asked me to bring liquor. Okay. I'll get liquor, guys. If it makes you happy, I'll get liquor. So I go over to the house with the liquor. And they're all sitting there talking about how amazing that party is in Margate, how they wish they were there. And I kid you not, when I tell you in my backpack with the liquor, I brought my mock travel and I just start studying. This is where my mind is now. Like, everything was secondary to mock trial. I, and they said, you brought your book to study? And I said, well, I kind of knew you guys would be talking about that shit over there. And I knew you wanted liquor, you're going to be drunk. So I start to study, because I figured I'd have something to do. I'm not trying to be an asshole, but, you know. And, um, and I see two of the guys, they start crying. And I put my book down. Like, alright guys. Why are you really crying right now? And this is weird. Because we're white from Atlantic City. So on our face, we're supposed to have edge. We're just, it's part of the requirement. If we don't have edge, what the hell do we have back then? You can't show vulnerability. You can't be soft. We're supposed to have this hardened shell. And accept it and embrace that. That's what we're supposed to do. This is how we get back at these people. We outwork them. We're tougher than them, right? Follow me here, guys. And I'm seeing these devastated children. Of which I am a child then. And, <laughs> good Mike, it's true. And I'm saying, you know what? Let's break shit down. The depression was real. And I start talking things up. And I say something really motivational. I want you guys to think about what we have endured. I want you to look around these city streets. And I want you to realize they could never live that life. We could live a lifetime in Margate. But Margate couldn't last a month where we're at. So if we push through this shit, we find our way, we find our niche, we're gonna be good. Fuck them. We're fine. Because we got this emotional currency inside that they could never even comprehend what that means. You know... They're going to be college guys, fucking high school girls, 
and they're going to be smoking weed, and Daddy and Mama get them out of OUILs and all these other things. We're going to set the tone. We're going to be the trailblazers if we can mentally get through this shit. So let's do that. Let's find our path. We're good. And everybody in that room bought into what I said. And they were happy and confident. And they were following my lead. And at this point, I am now the leader of this group. And as me being the leader, I'm building their confidence. They're becoming cocky. They're getting their way. And Miss Gandhi has pat me on the back because that's what they needed. Okay. And the powers that be, the suburban kids, like this. Because there's one thing that people can't stand in life. This is something Jerry Dowdy taught me. When you change your pattern, people lose their shit. And when I preach to my friends that we are not a caste system, we can set the tone for things, this surge of confidence comes. And the powers that be were not happy. And I'm going back to doing what I do. And one Thursday night, before mock trial practice, I am in Miss Gandia's classroom, and Miss Gandy always worked late. And I had the key to the office. And I was kind of one of the chosen ones from Miss Gandia's crew. And I'm working on my mock trial, and I'm writing an article for the Viking, and I'm doing my thing. And two of the assholes come up. Because they had crew practice. And crew practice ended before mock trial practice started. So these two good-looking Morrigate kids that think they were God's gift to the world, which, by the way, go to their Facebook page. They were wrong. They come up to me in Miss Gandia's classroom. And one says, B, can we talk? Now, let me be clear on that B thing. <laughs> People that shorten my name from William or Bill to B, they are people that have earned the right to do that. And what these people were doing by calling me B was they were trying to connect with me for a minute. Not because they liked me. They viewed me as a threat. And they could see the people that were not invited to this party had this new surge of energy. They had this new feeling about themselves. Sadly, it was temporary. But I'm the reason for that. I'm the one that's saying, hey, these crew guys want their assholes, and it's going to come out in the wash. We just got to get through the goddamn wash. We're good. And, um, one of them says to me, you know, brigantine girls are really into you in a big way, and I just felt you should know that. And he pats me on my left shoulder. I'm like, I'm sorry, What? Brigantine girls are really into you. We've heard so many at these parties say how cute they think you are and how you're so cool. And, you know, you'd be really well at Brigantine girls. 
and I start laughing. Let me explain to you what that comment meant. What they were telling me at 17 years old that I picked up on that most 45-year-olds could not pick up on was that in my little world, I could have a level of power. I could drive to Brigantine and hook up with those girls and it's like you're throwing me crumbs off the table. And those Brigantine girls, they love talking about the Margate guys because they thought that was a higher level. But I would be very acceptable to fit in with Brigantine girls. Thank you so much, guys. And Miss Candy is watching this as the one guy who was the king of the class tells me that Brigantine girls are really into Bill Amadeo. And I look at them and I reply, you know... Margate girls go for me in a big way, too. They just do it behind closed doors. <clears throat> and there's, like, this stunned silence. Because now these cool crew guys don't know if I'm hooking up with their girlfriend. And I just said something which was a shockwave to the high school cast system. Margate girls go for me in a big way, too. They just do it behind your goddamn back. And now... It's clear. I have declared to them, I am a threat to your world. And this is how I feel every time a suburban lawyer tries to belittle one of my clients. I want that individual to know I am a threat to everything you think you have. It goes back to that day in a way. And the one guy says to me, he tries to muscle me, and he's much bigger than me at this point. I mean, they're juicing. I'm working out. They're taking steroids. And he goes, oh, you better be careful what you're saying. And I take them both to the window. And I said, guys, I want you to look out there. And I'm pointing to inner city Atlantic City. Because remember, we go home different directions. And I said, I go home to that shit every day. I want you to think about that. That's real. So if you're trying to scare me, I want you to understand something. I go home to that every day. And if I go home to that every day, and I've survived that, what the fuck do you think you're going to do to me? So if you want to go, we can go. Because this could never be that. And what I'm doing at this point is pissing on my territory and saying everything I told my crew that Friday night. And the girl I was so into is watching this. And she is completely in love with me at this point. And now I'm disgusted because she went to that party to go with me. So you could have her. And then Miss Scandia comes out. She goes, Amadeo has to go to mock trial practice. And I said, yeah, guys. Amadeo's got to go to mock trial practice. Have a good night. And they leave. And Gandhi, Scandia was so amazing. She says to me, Amadeo, you're a funny boy. Go to practice. Yes, ma'am. When I think about Miss Gandia, she was viewed so differently by us, right? It's like the Margate and Ventnor kids viewed her as the angry black woman 
who wasn't good enough to be a Miss Shriven or in the AP class. And what we viewed her as was our role model and our savior because she was the one that told us that socioeconomic crisis will be temporary. She's the one that told us we were more talented than them because the world doesn't know about it yet. So Miss Gandhi was my third mother. And Gandhi let that situation go as far as it would go till Gandhi called bullshit on it. I owe Miss Gandhi everything. I miss her every goddamn day. So, as far as those five that were at the party, what do you think about this? Life has not been kind to those other four. Because when they couldn't get me to throw in the towel, they went to them. And they took their crumbs. Whenever you take crumbs from somebody, you gotta remember something, man. They own you. Life, guys, you gotta take control of your own destiny. You have to. So, conversations I've had last night and this morning brought me to remembering this particular incident. And I'll just say, as we close, life is what we make it. We truly can control our own destiny. And I think we forget about that at times. Revenge is a powerful tool, but the timing's never right on it. So, to those five people, and the two that are still with us today, if you're watching this, guys, all you gotta do is snap your fingers, because the talent's still there. And if you think they're better than you still, you're not looking through clear lenses. That's all I got today. Have a good weekend, guys. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.